faithwire.com. All right, we're our next guest here on faithwire.com, and our podcast is Beckett Cook. Beckett um, has quite uh, an amazing life journey that we're going to kind of dive into and try to try to go along with it as much as we can here in the time uh, that we have. He's written about it in a in a new book that it was just out yesterday, right? Yes, yes. yesterday. Great, congratulations. Uh, it's called A Change of Affection, A Gay Man's Incredible Story of Redemption. And I'll give you the uh, the cliff notes and then we'll dive in here. So grew up in Texas. Um, you know, according to your bio, your identity was deeply rooted in your sexuality. Moved to L.A. after college, got into Hollywood, set designer there. Uh, you, as you said, you were living the celebrity party type lifestyle and then had a chance encounter with a pastor at a coffee shop. I can't, I can't wait to dive into this conversation that you had. Uh, that changed everything. So welcome to uh, Faithwire New York, uh, Becca Cook. Thank you, Dan. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. All right. So let's... Uh, Let's talk about this move to from, well, growing up in Texas. I lived in Texas for a couple of years, actually, outside of Dallas. I feel like almost everyone in media somehow has been in Texas and Dallas for mm-hmm. some part of their life. So so uh, what prompted the move to, to L.A.? Well, in Dallas, I was born and raised in Dallas, went to Jesuit you know, schools, Jesuit high school. And uh, in Dallas, there, growing up, when I grew up, there were kind of three options to for career. It was doctor, lawyer, or business person. Right. And I didn't want to be any of those, <laughs> even though I was pre-med in college and I got accepted to law school. I took the LSAT, which is a long story, but I got accepted to law school and dental school, which is even a crazier story. <laughs> um, These are good options here. I though, know, I mean. right? <laughs> so I, but I turned that down because I knew that I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And I had, you know, I was I was an artist and I wanted to move to Hollywood and, and be a writer and an actor. And and I uh, so that's what really prompted it. And I literally like I mean, the two weeks before law school, I was enrolled in SMU law school in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And two weeks before law school started. I just I sat down with my best friend and I said, what do I do? And she was like, just come to L.A. because she she already lived in L.A. and she was like, just come to L.A. And, and just try to do your thing. And, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And so I told my dad, I, my dad was a lawyer. And, uh, and I said, you know, I just was like, Dad, I'm moving to L.A. tomorrow. <laughs> and he just was like, what? Tomorrow? You didn't even give him like a runway there. It was just like, tomorrow, <laughs> we're going. I literally loaded up my Volvo, <laughs> you know, sedan, and just drove across country and moved to L.A. Wow. And, that's yeah, because I wanted to live in a city that I could explore my creative side and and also a city that fully embraced who I was as a gay man. So I so at this point, so you're you're like college age at this point or out of yeah, college sort college. of like after college, I actually moved to Tokyo for a year, which is <laughs> a whole nother story. But I lived in Tokyo and then because I because I was like freaking out about my life. I'm like, right. I don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer. What do I right. do? I'm going to move to Tokyo, Tokyo. <laughs> and figure it all out. And um so I had that year to kind of think about things, and then that's when I and then I moved to to LA after that. Right. So at this point, you're you're open about your sexuality, and so th- not just from a career perspective, but from a social perspective. At this point, this was an appealing sort of move for you on that front too. Yeah, I just I actually when I was in Tokyo, a friend of my roommates from Dallas came. He came to visit us in Tokyo. And that was, and I fell in love, we fell in love. 
And that was when I really was like, okay, that's when I came out to everyone. Because before I knew I was gay, but it wasn't until that time that I came out to my family. I came out to all my friends, anyone. And so that's when I was really emboldened to come out completely. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, it was at that point, it became fully my identity before it was always there, but it was was just kind of like, Oh, this, maybe this will pass. I'm not sure. But, uh, but it was that was when it was. And was your family a Christian family at all? Yeah. And well, so, how did that go over? If so, well, they were. So my family, uh, yeah, they were Christians, Catholics, some some Catholics, some Evangelical Christians. It's kind of a mix. Next. But um, there was like a Reformation in my family. <laughs> my brother was the Martin Luther in my family. <laughs> it was uh, anyway. Um, yeah, my bro- my parents were way more bummed out about my brother becoming a. Uh, leaving the Catholic Church than me coming out as gay. <laughs> Way more about that. But see, I was the youngest of eight kids. Okay. See, my parents were good Catholics. Yeah. Um, I was the youngest of eight kids, and so by the time I they got to me and I told them, they were they were so lovely about it, to be honest. I mean, they were so sweet, and my mother was, you know, sad a little bit, and she cried, and my dad, you know, was like, is there anything I did wrong? Are you, are you, are you mad at me? Are you angry? And I was like, no, dad, like, this is who I am. Like, it's no big deal. And I told my mom the same thing. I'm like, mom, just don't worry about me. I'm fine. Like, this is, it's all good. And so they weren't, they weren't traumatized by it. As far as I know, um, (laughs) they, they just kind of went, they just kind of went with the flow because they had been through so many other kids at this point. (laughs) So it wasn't that big of a deal to them. So now, okay, so you've gotten through this. Now you get to L.A. And so so the scene here is, you know, as I was reading in your bio, you, you were uh, living the Hollywood lifestyle, right? Yeah, I got So I, when I moved to L.A., I got into this clique of friends who were all, they all were from the East, they all were from Ivy League schools on the East Coast. And they were all, like, wildly ambitious, super um smart and hilarious and we just kind of we all had this we had the the best time and we we had two goals in life we to make to make our mark on the world and be successful in whatever everyone was a writer actor producer director uh that was it like everyone was doing that and i mean while we were well i mean we literally every month like someone else would just like have just made a three picture deal at Fox or like just sold a screenplay or just got, you know? So it was, um, it was kind of this amazing period. And, um, and these, this, this group of friends, we did everything. I mean, we went to movie premieres all the time. We went to Oscars, the Emmys, the Golden Globes, the after parties, the, I met everyone and did every, I went to everyone's house. Like, you know, I, I, I did everything. I went to the Oscars one year with, uh, I went to the after party with Nia Vardalis from when she was nominated for my big fat Greek wedding. I went with her in her limo to the, the vanity fair party. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, so I was, you know, and I, I would have cocktails at Ariana Huffington's house, you know, right. Brentwood. And, um, and so I was very much a part of that whole kind of Hollywood kind of crowd. And I loved it. You know, I, that's, I loved it. I really had fun. <laughs> and I, and I, um, that's what I kind of thought like, Oh, well, this is, this is really fun. I thought that's what my life was really about. Like just me, you know, really 
meeting people, doing fun, creative things. Cause at first I was writing and, and, uh, doing other stuff and, uh, fell into set design later, but I was doing a lot of fun, creative stuff. And, and so I, I, yeah, I just, I, that's what I thought was, uh, what life was all about. It was really just kind of having the best possible time you right. could have. And, now, so, if, and I did. And if somebody would have, like, during the midst of this, and I know they kind of did at a coffee shop, but if someone would have came up to you in the middle of that, like at a party, and told you that at some point you were going to be a full-on and Christian ministry and, you know, just going down that road, what would you have said to that person? <laughs> I would have said, no, thank you. Um, because here's the thing. When, as a gay man in the, those days... Christians to me were always the enemy because mm -hmm. because they believed quote unquote that who I was was wrong. So I always felt like I can never be a part of that club. I don't want to be a part of that club. And God the the longer I lived in LA, the more and more God became absolutely just to the point where God became not even a thought in my mind. Mm. I mean it was like by the time I was in the coffee shop in 2009, I, I was a practical atheist. I, I literally at that point in my life believed that, okay, all that stuff is a fairy tale. There's no way it's real. Um, and I was happy to believe that because I, I didn't want anything impeding my life and right. my, yeah. my, you know, my sexuality. So yeah. I was happy to, to not believe, uh, in God. And, so yeah, so and but then things kind of shifted. Yeah. So then, at two thousand nine, you're at a coffee shop and you have a chance encounter with with a pastor. Who who is was it? A pastor we know or just a just not yeah, not one? I mean, mention his name. I, I, um, I don't know. I haven't read the well, book yet. Well, so <laughs> so the mention or not the uh, six months prior to that encounter, I I had this kind of seminal moment. So you know the law of diminishing returns started to set in in my life, you know, after, I don't know how long, 10, 15 years of doing, you know, living the fabulous life, right. whatever. The law of diminishing returns really started to set in. And it, I, it, there was this kind of turning point in Paris of two, March 2009. I was in Paris Fashion, at Paris Fashion Week. I went to a bunch of the shows and I went to after parties and I was at Stella McCartney's after party. And it was at a club in Paris. Uh, and I remember that night, I was sitting with Rachel Zoe, who was this fashion person. She had her own Bravo show for a while. But um, there, you know, the whole fashion world was there. People were dancing, drinking champagne. I had champagne. And I were just, I had this moment of looking out and just thinking, is that all there is? To a fire? Um, <laughs> no, I thought I really had that moment of, like, is this all there is? And I just kind of like was in a panic, felt totally empty. It went, mm. I ghosted the party, went back to my, uh, the hotel and I was up all night and uh, just kind of pondering like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Cause this isn't doing this. This is not doing it for me anymore. And I had done, I mean, I, Sancho, like, crazy trips and like Saint Tropez and like right like the, the all height, over the like world everything I was, you could possibly I, I traveled yeah. everywhere in the world and did everything um but so I I was like this isn't going to do it for me anymore and I don't know what is and then 
I got back to LA, got busy with work again and kind of forgot about that night. And then in, in September of 2009, I was in a coffee shop called Intelligentsia in LA in Silver Lake. And, uh, I met, so I saw my best friend and I, he was gay and we, that was kind of our Saturday jam. Like we would hang out at this coffee shop and, uh, we saw this man walk out of the, with a to-go cup, walk out on the patio with a book, a big hardcover book in his hand. And on the spine, it said Romans commentary. And we, we knew enough about Christianity. Like he, my friend wasn't a Christian, um, but we knew enough about Christianity that that was a religious book. Right. And so we kind of looked at each other like, what the heck? Like we had never seen anything like that in LA, like someone with anything like that. And then he walked over to a table. His name is Tim Chaddick. Um, anyway, he walked over to a table and there were that this was even more shocking. It was a table of like five people, young people with Bibles sitting out on the table, um, which was a shock. I, I literally had never seen a Bible in public in L.A. <laughs> ever. It's not banned. I mean, you'd think it, it's almost banned at this. Well, point. it is. But back in 2009, it wasn't banned. Um, and my friend and I were so shocked by that. And we were just like, what is going on? So this pastor, this person with the Romans commentary walks over to this group and they say hello and, you know, chat for a second, and then he leaves. So my friend urged me to, he loved to kind of get into conversations right. with strangers. So he's looking to pick a pick a little, uh, yeah, he wanted let's to have just, a little debate He's here. like, what's going let's, on over yeah. here? So he's like, just ask him what they're doing. And so I, they were sitting right behind us. And um, so I just turned around and I, you know, it's kind of like a, a Christian's like favorite question to get. So what do you believe? So I turned around. I literally said, are you guys like Christians? What's the deal? And they're like, yeah. And and I, you know, I asked, what do you believe? Because I grew up Catholic. I don't even I don't remember what like Christianity is really at this right. point. Like you what filed is, this away. In the yeah, back. I filed like, it away. Like I'm like, gone. what's your faith? Like, what do you believe? And they, you know, they basically told me the gospel and. And then I got, of course, to the $64,000 question at the end of our... We talked for a while, for like a couple hours. And I got to the question, you know, I said, so what does your church in Hollywood believe about homosexuality? And they were just super blunt. And they said, well, we believe it's a sin. And, you know, that's it. And I was like, huh, okay. Now, if someone had said that to me, like, five years ago or a year before that, before like, that, I would have thrown my coffee in their face. <laughs> but for some reason, I just was like, I, I appreciated their frankness and just, it was refreshing. I was yeah. like, okay, good. Right. They weren't going to try to, they weren't, they weren't like, suspecting that you were gay and then that they were going to kind of dance around it. And yeah, you know. exactly. Yeah. And they invited me to their church the following Sunday. And I said, well, I don't know, but I'll think about it. And, uh, Sure enough, the following Sunday, I just found myself waking. I woke up and I put on my clothes. I got ready. I put on my clothes, got in my car, and I just started driving to this church, this evangelical. I had never been to an evangelical church in my life. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. like, And it was in a public high school auditorium. So I was used to like stained glass windows right. and ornamentation right. and, yes. all, you know, 
So when I walked in, I was kind of like, it, it looked like the studio. Um, I walked <laughs> in, I was like, wow, this is kind of amazing. It's so minimalist and it's kind of <laughs> chic. Um, and then, the, but I wa- when I walked into the auditorium, the worship music was playing, Christian worship music. I immediately cringed because I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about there's Christian music. <laughs> and then, because I, I had just seen like an episode of like True, uh, True Blood or something like that where they satirized Christian, right. you know, worship. Right. Um, and so I, but then I like stopped for a second. I was like, you know what? Actually, it's not bad. And then I found, I just found a seat. I was by myself and they didn't really meet me there. I just went to a seat by myself, sat down, you know, and then the pastor whom I saw the week before with the Romans commentary comes out and he starts preaching a sermon on Romans chapter seven. And as he's preaching for an hour, while he's preaching, something starts to just happen in me. And I don't know what's going on because I... Everything, every word he was saying, every sentence he said was resonating as truth Mm. to my heart, to my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is true. This is true. This is true. And it was turning everything I'd ever thought about religion on its head. And I, it was the first time I really was understanding the gospel. Mm. And by the end of the sermon, I was so, I was literally on the edge of my seat, like sitting, I was like, and he, finally left, you know, he prayed and then he left the the pulpit and uh, I didn't want him to leave. I wanted to hear more, but the worship music came and he said, you know, there's people on the sides of the church who are in the prayer ministry and you can get prayed with if you want. You can walk over and ask for prayer if you want. You know, it's like every Sunday they do that. So I had this moment of uh, the worship music is playing for another half hour now. And so I had this moment of like, do I go over there and ask for a prayer or do I not? And it was like this, if I do, it's going to be humiliating because people are probably watching me that the people that know I'm here who invited me, like they're probably watching me. But I was like, whatever, I'm here. I'm just going to go over. So I walked over to the side and I went up to this guy and I was like, hey, I don't know what I believe, but I'm here. And he said, okay, let me pray for you. And he prayed for me, and it seemed like a super intense, powerful prayer. It was just, and it seemed really long to me. And I was like, it seemed so loving too. The way he was praying, I was like, how does this stranger guy, dude, like love me so much? And uh, so then after he prayed for me, I went back to my seat. There's still another 25 minutes left of worship. And I was sitting in my seat. I was processing the prayer, processing the music, processing the sermon. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's like, like floods my my body, my mind, everything, my spirit. And God just is like reveals himself to me. It was like the road to Damascus kind of moment. And God, I, God's like, I'm real. Jesus is my son. He's real. He Heaven's real. Hell's real. It, uh you are now adopted into my kingdom. You are my child now. And, um, and I was so blown away that I, I literally just could, I started like bawling, bawling hysterically. I couldn't stop crying for the rest of the time. And I, uh, I knew in that moment, it was like Isaiah in the temple when he sees the holiness of God and he comes undone. That's Mm -hmm. how it was. And I was crying 
it was, I was crying because of two things, because of the joy of meeting the king of the universe, number one, and finally knowing the meaning of life. Because, you know, I always wanted to know the meaning of life. Yeah. You know, and you'd searched everywhere for it. You were in the highest yeah. you know, and social I, circles. And I had also and... got, you know, I used to go to plays in New York and London all the time on Broadway and um, off-Broadway plays and of the best playwrights in the world. And I thought, oh, these these people know, these guys know the meaning of life. Like I would go to Tom Stoppard plays and Eugene O'Neill plays and um, Penter plays. And uh, and I thought, you know, these guys can give me the meaning of life. And and I every time I left the theater, I would just be so frustrated because it was like, ah, it got so close to the truth, but then it didn't get <laughs> then there. Right. Like, you know, t- um, Tony Kushner to Angels in America and all that. But um, but. So God, I was just bawling and bawling and bawling because I was crying over like, oh my gosh, I just met God. And uh, I was crying over my sin, my sins too. Like mm-hmm. it was just the sorrow over my sin, but this joy of just meeting God. And right. it was like insane. And I I cried and cried and cried and cried. And it, it was like the most intense cry since my in, since I was an infant. Mm. And, and then after that, I... I drove, I got out of my car and I drove home. I don't even know how I made it home because I couldn't even see. I mean, <laughs> and I got home and I got into bed because I wanted to take a nap because I was so freaked out and overwhelmed. And it happened again. Like I, it was like Moses in the cleft of the rock. God was like, so I'm going to show you a little more of my glory. And he was just like, <laughs> and, and just kind of flooded by me again. And I was just like, whoa, and I started crying again. And I jumped out of bed and I was like, God, you have all my. You have my whole life. It's yours. I'm and done. This is all in one day. I mean, one day. Is, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and so, and I knew, and to the core of my being in that moment, I knew that my life as a gay man was over. I knew that that was not who I was. I knew that uh, homosexual. I knew. I just knew homosexual. It's like John Calvin talks about that in his Institutes. Of, about it's a different thing he's talking about, but he's saying like when a baby, a baby can tell like what when milk is sour, mm-hmm. just like it's automatic. I knew that that was, a, I knew it was sinful. I knew it was not who I was anymore. I knew I that was a part of my past, and I wasn't going to live that life anymore. I just knew that immediately. And then of course I read the Bible like voraciously after that. And yeah, it was all it all became super clear, but. I knew it in an instant. So then now you've now you've had this this Damascus type moment and but you're still in this, you know, with your career and your social life, you're in this world. I mean, I don't know if you're dating anyone at this point or in a relationship, but um, I just I had just broken up with someone six like six months before my conversion. So now but now you're coming to like, okay, now and now you're I mean, you're in Hollywood. I mean, this is this is like ground zero. For, as you were saying before, like, you know, evangelical, I mean, evangelical Christian man today is basically enemy number one. Right. In, in sort of the, the Hollywood spheres, at least from the outside looking in, that's the way, that's the way it feels. So now, but you're now going to have to then, you know, take on, not, not take them on, but sort of go back into this world completely changed. Yeah. And, And maybe to a view that maybe won't be accepted so well. How, how was that received well, and how I mean, did you, how did that, how did you play that? How did that all play out for you? Telling my friends was the most bizarre thing of my life because <laughs> these were like, I mean, my friends in, in LA were, 
they were just lifelong friends. A lot, a lot of them were friends from high school right. who had all moved out to LA. Um, so they, I mean, these were like extremely close friends of mine and I had to sit them down. It took me like two or three weeks. I, I went to dinner with each person and sat them down one at a time and was like, I have to tell you something really crazy. And they're like, are you moving to another, like, <laughs> do you have a new boyfriend? And I'm like, no, I just, well, kind of, I just met Jesus. Um, and they were just like stunned. I mean, they were stunned and I was stunned even telling them, but, but then, you know, I, and I, of course was so just full of joy that when I was, I was actually working on a shoot. And um, when I went on the set of all the, sh I mean, I just was so vocal about, about, I, I would literally go on to the set of shoots to, and I would tell anyone, I'd be like, oh my gosh, Jesus is real. It's crazy. <laughs> like it, God is real. And um, I couldn't help myself. Like I was just telling everyone and I didn't care what they thought. And I, I thought that it would affect my career, but it actually didn't at all. Oh, that's and good. in fact, it's weird because God almost like blessed it in a way because I, I was so vocal and told, I mean, I, I told like people, one of the photographers I worked with his he's from New York and he's gay. And like I, he, we were doing a shoot at Paris Hilton's house and he, he was like, I told him my story and I told him that about the gay thing too. And he was just like, Wow. But I mean, the crazy thing is like he kept hiring me for years after <laughs> that. And so it didn't affect my um, my career. And I felt, yeah, again, I felt like God was just like giving me more work. It was weird. And because I thought I was going to be like, like shunned out blacklisted or, yeah. in Hollywood. But I mean, I think with this book, I might be, I'm not sure. But, um, <laughs> so because this is like now it's in writing, so it's right. a different thing. Right, but, um, <laughs> right. So, now you're now now this is like a name that's attached to something that people can right. Google and get to versus. Yes. Well, well, hopefully God continues to put a hedge around you. And, that, <laughs> yes. and, and uh, I, I hope well, so. I don't have to hope that. I know he's going to do that, whatever your path is from here. Well, so. and I think also, I think my days... Uh, as a set designer are kind of over ish because I really feel like, cause God and in five, like six years ago, God called me to seminary and I, he, I went and he paid for, I God called me to seminary and paid for it, which was crazy. <laughs> and then, um, at Talbot at Biola university. And I, which was weird because I was like, wait, how am I going to, I'm going to have to turn down 90% of my jobs to go to seminary. Yeah. How am I going to support myself? And God was like, don't worry about it. I got it covered. <laughs> like, uh, and he did. And so, um, I, uh, I feel like now that he's taking me, you know, he took me to seminary. He, he helped me write this book or he wrote this book. I mean, it, this is God's book, but, um, and then now I feel like now I'm really being led into kind of full-time ministry and with a lot having to do with this issue yeah. and, and kind of, so I feel like I'm leaving that, that world possibly of set design yeah. for good. Well, don't tell my agent that. No. that. <laughs> so this, uh, <laughs> well, it's such a big topic today and I'm obviously, you know, it doesn't have to be the only topic you talk about, but given your history, obviously it has a powerful, you know, uh, coming from you, it has a lot more power. And, um, you know, given your history, um, 
So, you know, this today it's 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 a tough issue today because I feel like you can't bring it up without being labeled like a bigot or or, you know, homophobe or or, or something of that nature and there's this real disconnect that I find and maybe you can explain or say you know, see a path of how we can sort of bridge this gap. Um because I feel like we should be in a place as Americans where we can talk about differences, but realize we can still love one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's the assumption now is that if we, you know, follow the Bible and say, well, that is that lifestyle is a sin, you know, that I'm loving you. Like, I'm not hating you. I'm just, you know, we have a difference of view on that, you know? And so is that bridge? Are we going to be able to you oh, know, Dan, bridge that so gap? Or no? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a hard. Okay, first of all, I mean, because your story right there, it's I'm a honestly, hard I'm bridge surprised. to get. It's a hard bridge to get. Oh, yeah. what? What's yeah. the word? Yeah, yeah. It's very hard to do that because, and I mean, I'm because just like I said earlier, I, I viewed Christians as the enemy, mm-hmm. and I, I, when Christians, even when my family were like, oh, we, you know, love, love you, but we hate the sin, love the sinner kind of right, thing. Right. I was just like. This is who I am. Like, right. you can't love half of me. And, right. like, I, I was, you know, I was always kind of, I always felt alienated by my family um, in that way, even though that wasn't their intention, obviously. Right. Um, but there's, it's very difficult to, to bridge that gap because it's such a, it's so tied deep. This sin is different than others because it's so tied to identity. And, mm-hmm. There's gay pride parades, but there's not greed pride parades or right. tax collector pride parades. Right. Um, <laughs> right. You know, it's like this is totally different. So it's so wrapped up in in someone's identity that it's even just to say that you believe it's a sin is extremely off-putting. Because yeah. I and I felt that when I lived that life. When I when I would hear that from Christians or uh, whenever, I right. I felt so offended by that and so. Like I felt like they, yeah, you're a bigot. You're you don't know what you're talking about, and um, and honestly, it takes just it takes the Holy Spirit. I and it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to really change that identity yeah. and to change someone's heart. But the one thing Christians can do is be as loving as you possibly can without uh, without compromising your convictions and yeah. without compromising the truth. Because yeah. this is the issue in the church today. It's like so many Christians are now compromising the truth because they think they, they think that's more loving, but it actually just c- creates all kinds of confusion and yeah. it's false. And so it's difficult to... Um, I always say this, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in exile in Babylon and they... Were, did not compromise their convictions by one iota. And they were willing to go into a fiery furnace rather than bow down to the culture of Babylon, bow down to the golden statue. They were willing to go into a fiery furnace. And and it's like, as Christians, as the church, we have to have those convictions settled in our hearts and and not waver on them. because And then we go out and we love our neighbor. Right. We love people. But... If you don't have those convictions settled and you're trying to, it, it's just like you're you're just waffling and you're not helping. Yeah. <laughs> you're not helping the situation no. at all. Well, so please, yeah. 
And I think, and I think where a lot of people misstep too, and, um, you know, I'm sure on social media, I'm guilty of this to some extent as well, but it's, you know, I, I think relevant or somebody had a good article about stop yelling at non-Christians mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. sins that they're, you know, it's, yes, it's a sin, but they're not adhering to the right. Christian worldview at this point. Exactly. So the first step is to just, like you said, love people and get them, you know, to, to, get a relationship going, like make somebody ask you, well, what, what is it that gives you joy in the midst of this trying circumstance? And then you can talk and then you've got a little bit of a basis and maybe they'll ask you about that. And I think we have to be careful about where we step into those issues because it's not going to mean much coming from random Joe on the street to just yell at everybody and yeah. and, and say, well, what you're doing is a sin. They're, like you said, it's just not going to, until God opens their eyes, it's not going to, it's not going to matter. Now, I, I struggle on that, though, because at the same time, I don't mind somebody out on the street just preaching the word right. because, like, you went to that church that one day. You don't know when God's going to just open somebody's exactly. eyes. But there, I think there's, there's so many different yeah. ways that yeah. God can get to a person, exactly. so you never know. So, But I do think being aggressive and yelling and condemning and is not really probably the best <laughs> way to go about things. Well, Billy Graham famously said, it's God's job to judge, the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and my job to love. Mm. Um, and so, uh, G- yeah, Jesus, you know, the second commandment is love our neighbor. And, and that's what we're here to do. And as you said, the non-believers are, are, are not accountable to us as, you know, they're, we're, right. they're not claiming to be Christians. And so right. we, it's just like, it's futile, it's futile to, you know, say, hey, just by the way, you're, you know, you're sinning, right? Like, I'm not going to go to West Hollywood to, <laughs> to and tell people that. But um, I actually live in West Hollywood. But it, uh, I've actually had, which is amazing, I've had um, several gay friends who have oh, have come to Christ now and really? who are Christians. Yeah, and it's been insane. It's been amazing because. And one of my, one of the guys was actually my assistant, and he was gay. And when I first got saved, I told him all about it. I was like, "Oh my gosh, Eddie! Like, this is crazy! Like, it's real. Jesus is real. Homosexuality is a sin." And I, I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. And he was just like, "Oh, honey, you're crazy! <laughs> like, you're insane!" And so I just was like, "Okay, well," and I just we would always kind of chat about it and he sort of mocked me over the years but in a fun way right but you had a rapport with him he I had was a, a friend rapport. so this is yeah. somebody you and, could feel comfortable to and say and he this trusted way. me yeah. and 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 then cut to you know i guess it's like three or four months now like he got saved three four months ago and has totally given up that life wow and he and i asked him i said what did you think when I told in 2009, when I told you about Jesus and all this stuff, what did you think? And he was like, well, on the outside, I was pretending it wasn't affecting me, but it really affected me. And I was like, oh, that's I was like, that's really good to know, because you never know, like what right. kind of when you when you're planting seeds, you don't know, even if people seem like it's not a, you know, they're right. not receiving they're it about it. They could be really stewing you, on them. Yeah. You can, those seeds are planted. So in. 10 years, that was a 10 years now? He just got saved like a couple months ago? Yes. So that wow. was a, that was a long germination period, but he did get saved. That's amazing. That's so awesome. awesome. Yeah. Praise God for that. That's really cool. So so tell me a little bit about, I know we've gone through your story now, and it's great to hear um, because, um, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, can 
you know, like I was just saying in Holly, I expected everyone would have just kind of shunned you off the beginning from that, but you said they were, you know, tolerant of you and, and kept hiring you and everything. So that's, it's always good to have my own perceptions challenged. Um, so we've got a little bit about your story. What, what's your heart on the book? Uh, like what's, uh, what are you hoping to, uh, achieve with it? Um, and, and just, yeah, just tell me about, you know, yeah, the genesis um, of it and why, I mean, we've gone through your story obviously, but, uh, your, I, hope, your hopes for the book. Uh, my hope is to, I wrote the book because I really felt like I, I felt like it was this story. I had, it was kind of this weird thing where it just had to come out of me. I had to write it down and um and i i the the real kind of one of the main goals of the book is to edify the church mm. is to help the church understand help christians understand this issue biblically theologically culturally personally experientially um and try to uh kind of dis- dispel some of the myths about things and uh, so my my main goal this this book is you know uh, you know for skeptics but my main audience my main goal is to get this book to the church and help them again because I see so many people in the church kind of yeah. flip flopping flip flopping on this issue and so it's to help people just like okay my these I can I can actually relax because the these can i can relax in these convictions yeah because this you know and that's and i because i lay it out very specifically in the book like why and how and but um but i just want yeah i want uh i want the church to really understand this issue in in so many different ways in the last chapter of the book it's 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 kind of a letter to it's like dear pastors and parents and and friends and i really try i try to lay out kind of the mistakes and uh, what to do and what not to do yeah. and how to engage with people and who are gay. And, um, uh, and one of the ways uh, I give an example of my sister-in-law who was for me just an amazing example of an evangelical Christian. She, she, uh, knew I was gay. I knew she was a Christian. I knew what she believed about homosexuality. Right. But every time I would come home for to Dallas for Christmas and we'd always get together, have coffee, chat. She would talk about God. I would talk about guys. And she never <laughs> once said to me, not once, did she say, hey, Becca, like, you know, you're still sinning, right? She never said that. She never quoted a Bible verse to me. She just like, we just chatted have, and she loved me unconditionally and she did you know something really dangerous which is pray for me for 20 years Mm. and and that's what it that's what she and that's what it's that's what needs to happen you know um beating someone over the head with the bible doesn't help at all when and i know and, and, and the thing is i talk about this in the book it's like when a child comes out to his or her parents as gay or lesbian that child has had so many years to internally wrestle with that issue. And so by the time they get to the point where they come out, they expect their parents to just jump on board immediately. Right. Which, because they've yeah. been thinking about it forever, but then they're not the perception of the parents is that I guess you automatically assume that 
they've maybe been dealing with it too. And, but they're just, it's just that moment for them. Yeah. Right. So now they've got and to so the So, and the parents, of course, are in the state of shock. And, right. <laughs> and then the, the ch- you know, and so it's a, it's a, a recipe for disaster. And I think in those moments, like people just need to take time, <laughs> like the child coming out to the parents needs to give the parents a break and the, the, the parents need to give the child right. a break. Like right. they both just need to have grace with each other. Uh, in that dynamic because it's a because coming out to your parents is is one of those moments in your life that you never forget and you, you I know every detail of what happened and um, it's a really important moment and if you bungle that in a way it's not great right. and, um, so it's best to if you're a parent and I know it's not easy you know for a parent especially a Christian parent to right. deal with this the best thing to do is just like go into a closet <laughs> and just grieve over this because you have to go through a grieving process, you know, and 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 just try and love your child as best you can yeah. and navigate that as best you can. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, it sounds like it's it's definitely something that's needed today. I mean, because um, there's so many ideas, but and and uh, interestingly, I mean, you have a, a openly gay. Uh, I guess is he current mayor, former mayor, running for president now, and he's out there quoting the Bible and and stuff. And so, um, you know, it's interesting because there's the one extreme of people like in LA, maybe like how you were an atheist, like completely kind of detached from the faith. But now there's a whole crop of people who are sort of not detaching themselves from the faith. I know that's the tricky of, part. Yeah. yeah. So what do you make of that? What do you make of that whole uh, sort of dynamic? Not, that, not necessarily just the mayor, but... Well, I have a part in my book. It's a, it, There's a section called Can You Be Gay and Christian? And yeah. um, I break it down. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's, it's very... That's, that's the most difficult set of people to really get to because you can't... So he, that's the thing is, uh, you know, Martin Luther said, you know, the Christian life is a lifetime of repentance. But if you don't believe what you're doing is a sin, you will never repent right, of it. Right. Obviously, exactly. if you think it's righteous to be, a, you know, live a gay life, yeah. then you're yeah. never going to repent of it. Right. If that's your identity and you believe this is how I was made, therefore, why would I repent of how I was made? Like, yeah. it, you know, so that's a tough, uh, you know, not to So crack. the uh, the gay church, the quote unquote gay churches, uh, there's a few in LA, I think. And and I actually, you know, it's funny because I was like, what are these people, what are they, what are their sermons about? I want to <laughs> like, I don't, so I actually went online and listened to a bunch of sermons from different gay churches. There's one called the Abbey in Pasadena uh, or the new Abbey, I think it's called. Um, which is funny because there's a gay bar in West Hollywood called the Abbey that's been there since like the eighties or something. But <laughs> Um, I listen to these sermons and they're really just, uh, who's that self-help guru guy? Tony Robbins. Tony, they're like yeah. Tony Robbins yeah. kind of like self-help like things. Right. Like they're not really, there's nothing about the gospel or right. no, there's no exegesis. No happening exegesis. There. Yeah. <laughs> there's, um, so it's, it's very unsettling to me and it's very kind of, it's sad because it's it's kind of like trying to fit in 
my it's kind of like rationalizing my sin and still wanting to be a Christian and and trying to do it at the same time. Yeah. And it's like you can't. It's 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 like a yeah. square circle. Right. It doesn't. You can't do that. It doesn't yeah. exist. Well, some people actually applauded uh, Josh Harris. You know, I don't know if you saw that story. Um, you know, for at least his honesty. And, and saying, I'm no longer a Christian, because instead of taking what you were just doing there and trying to put the yeah. you know square peg in the round hole, he just said, look, I looked at all the things that define a Christian, and I no longer fit as one of those. So, and I don't know what his issue is in saying, like, he doesn't, I mean, everyone's suspecting that because he got separated that maybe he's going to come out as gay, but obviously he hasn't said that. But, well, but there's the, something in his life that he's saying does not line up with what the definition of a Christian is. So, um so that, well, the that title, was interesting that he was praised for that. Yeah. So that's at least, yeah, I, I actually, I actually admire people who are just like, yeah, I'm out, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a Christian because I want to pursue this thing. I want to be gay. And like, and it, um, by the way, the title of the book, I kiss dating goodbye. is right. kind of a tip off. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say anything about it anymore <laughs> about that, but I, like that. I don't know. It, I don't think a straight guy would write that title, but um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's just. But um, you know, here's the thing. Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. Esau, uh, if the story of Esau and Jacob and Genesis, um, you know, Esau comes in from hunting and he's hungry, and Jacob had just made this lentil stew or something soup. And I have a chapter or a section of the book called "Bad Soup." I think it's a chapter called Bad Soup. But but Esau comes in and he's hungry and he and Jacob's like, okay, sell me your birthright and I'll give me your birthright and I'll give you this soup. And Esau agrees and he's like, Yeah, that's let's do it. So that to me is the it's like selling your birthright for to satisfy an immediate appetite you want satisfied and and it's that's what i it's i see that parallel in in people like josh harris and others um who in matthew vines and others who um just have to have that satisfaction now and are willing to give up that quote-unquote birthright yeah and they're not willing like in hebrews chapter 11 the heroes of the faith the hall of faith they're not willing to wait for the promises of God in the he- in, in the heavenly country, they they have to have their soup now. They can't wait for it, you know, at the feast of the Lamb, and so mm-hmm. the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so it's it's really that to me is the saddest thing. Is like it's like guys, I always say this. I'm like, life is so short. It's such a vapor. It's a mist. The Bible talks about that, and. What do you want your life to be? I mean, do you want to just kind of try and sort of like see what you can get away with and as a sin, but still sort of maybe go to heaven? Is that what you want your life to be? Or do you want to be like Paul? Paul, I mean, Paul was like, all he cared about was getting the gospel out. He was like beaten and like jailed and, you know. Uh, shipwrecked and right. There was no best life now for him. No, he just <laughs> wanted to get the gospel out, plant churches, and he was just like, that's all he cared about. And it's <laughs> like, and people often ask me, they're like, well, aren't you, you know, isn't it sad and that you have to be single and isn't it unfair that you have to be, you know, celibate? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I have 
first of all, I am in a relationship. I'm not alone. I have this the relationship with the most amazing person in the universe, Jesus Christ. And he never cheats on me, unlike all my ex-boyfriends. He never <laughs> lies. He's always faithful. He'll never leave or forsake me. And I have the most intimate, amazing relationship with him. I never feel cheated out of anything. I feel like the luckiest guy in the world. And I, and I, uh, I, what I, what I think is unfair, what is that Jesus had to be beaten, yeah. tortured, and crucified for my sins. Mm. Like that's unfair. Yeah. And and it's also unfair that he had grace on me when I was a wicked rebel. No, I mean we're all wicked right. rebels until we come to him. But that's unfair that he had grace on me, and now I get to have not only a relationship with him, but eternal life. What? Right. Like I'm gonna live forever with Christ, like in His presence. Like it's just too crazy. And so I never feel like I'm being cheated in this life. I feel quite the opposite. Yeah. I'm just like happy to be on. I'm just happy to be <laughs> with Jesus. By the way, like all those relationships I had with guys, I mean, you know, there were great aspects to them, but they were always kind of, they lived in this like neurotic space. And like, it's just, it just is like my relationship with Christ. If when you put all and when you put all that pressure on another human being to satisfy you, never works right You're even in straight yeah. relationship yeah. marriages it doesn't work but my you know with my relationship with christ it's like he can he does and it's it's just amazing so i yeah well, that's a fantastic perspective to have thanks for spending uh, some time uh talking about your story and your book i'm sure as you said it's going to be edifying to those who read it. i know it's been edifying uh, for me to hear your testimony and how, you know, the Damascus moment and everything else, it's its great stuff. So uh, the name is A Change of Affection, A Gay Man's Incredible Story of Redemption. And, you know, that does not, does not sound like an exaggeration at all. So uh, Becca Cook, thanks so much for uh, joining us here on FaithWire. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. FaithWire.com.